Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Daddy's never failed you. Are you thankful for his promise that he never will? Me too. Praise God. Praise God. I know we've had, uh, we've had a lot already go on this morning. And uh, actually, let's do this. Teachers, students, off to go to uh, Children's Church. Give my hand. Thank you. Be blessed. Thank you, especially teachers. Uh, I will try. I've got some things I need to share with you today. And I know I said a lot of things have happened already. I will uh, try not to keep us here all day. But hey, the fast starts today, so it's not like you're all going out to lunch, right? <laughs> anyway, actually it might be. Something I, I didn't mention is many people, when they do extended fasts, and this is, this is a tradition that goes back hundreds of years, uh, did not fast on Sundays. They took Sundays off because they felt it was, it was abso- absolutely wrong to afflict the soul on the Lord's Day. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection. So uh, if you're like, man, fast starts today, I'm just not ready. You don't have to be ready till tomorrow. Go to El Toro, go to Monocles, do what you got to do, and start on Monday, right? We've got a pot of chili we didn't quite finish, and so we'll probably go home and finish that today. So, Anyway, actually, speaking of the fast, I do want to start this by answering a question that I can't believe I didn't address last week. I spoke last week about the fact that we are going to do a fast this year. After all, and I talked about why, and I talked about how we don't need a theme for the year. I talked about the value of fasting uh, and several other things. And after service, someone came up to me and asked a question that made me embarrassed that I had not answered it in the message, which is this. How do you fast? We didn't really talk about what a fast is. I sort of take it for granted. Um, But a fast, of course, in the purest sense of the world, is uh, purest sense of the word is simply going without food. For a period of time, you don't eat. A true fast is not ingesting any calories or stimulants for uh, often a specified period of time. Fasting, as we mentioned last week, was often employed in the Bible for times of repentance, seeking the Lord's help in crisis. It was often done in community. We talked about that last week. I encourage you to get the message. And what we typically do, since this is an extended fast, is kind of what we call a Daniel fast. I was going to read you the whole first chapter of Daniel, but in in the interest of time, I'm just going to kind of do a recap. And most of you know the story of Daniel. Uh, But when Judah fell to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar sent one of his ministers into the, uh, one of his servants, one of his cabinet people, uh, into Judah to sort of sift through the population and find the good ones. And they brought back to Babylon the best and the brightest. I mean, they wanted guys who were uh, young enough to still be uh, taught some things like languages. They had to be bright enough to learn the languages. And he wanted only good-looking young men to fill these posts. And so he brought several into this uh, three-year training camp to train them to be uh, civil servants in Babylon. And... uh, as uh, part of this, since they, they were to be elevated and do this important work, uh, instead of just eating the same stuff that the hoi polloi had to settle for, they were appointed a portion of the king's delicacies. They got good wine, good food, fancy food as a reward for the service that they were being trained to render for the government. But Daniel refused, it says, 
to, uh, to partake of these things. And uh, he wanted to seek the Lord and honor God by limiting what he ate. And so he asked the, the, the person who was in charge of overseeing their training, could you just bring us some vegetables? And uh, the guy said, he already had favor with these, with these guys. And the guard's like, hey, look, man, I'd, I'd do it for you. The problem is I come in here, you stand before the king in a couple weeks, and you're looking all weak uh, and malnourished. It's, it's my head that the king is going to have, not yours. And so Daniel says, give us a 10-day tryout. You feed us nothing but vegetables and water for 10 days, and you come in and examine us, and if, you, if you're not satisfied, then we'll eat the king's delicacies. And uh, when he came in 10 days later, they not only were fine, they looked more robust, stronger, energetic. More, uh, their color was better than the people who had been eating the king's delicacies. And so the guard's like, yeah, take that stuff away from them. Just give them vegetables for three years, apparently. This is what they ate. So we talk about a Daniel fast. We don't necessarily mean it does not have to be complete abstaining from food. It can be abstaining, and this is kind of what we encourage, abstain from a category of food. Maybe you abstain from a meal. Uh, choose your favorite meal. What do you really look forward to? Is it breakfast? Is it lunch? Is it supper? Maybe you can not do supper for three weeks. Maybe, like a number of people, uh, you, no sugar for three weeks. No, only do that if sugar is something you eat every day. This is something that should get your attention every day, all right? Something that you look forward to, something that is part of your routine. Again, not something sinful. Don't, don't give it up because it's bad for you. Give it up because you enjoy it, uh, enjoy it because this is supposed to be laying down a legitimate pleasure for a specified period of time. Why? So God will look at you and reward you. I'm going to reward you for three weeks of suffering without sugar by hearing your prayers. No, our fasting doesn't get God's attention on us. It gets our attention on God. And so, uh, again, number of people, uh, there there are several people, and I encourage this too. This is fine. Uh, Maybe for uh, medical reasons or something else, you can't alter your diet much from what it is. Or maybe something else you feel is going to be more valuable, and so rather than give up a food or a category of food or a meal, uh, you give up something else that you do every day. Maybe if you expend excessive time on social media or the Internet in general or television or anything like that, maybe you can lay these things down. Uh, But it's something that you ought to miss on a daily basis, perhaps several times a day, so that when you start to miss it, when you start to get hungry for that, it reminds you, oh, yes, I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? And that's what it comes down to. Why are we fasting? We're fasting to pray. You know, in Daniel's case... Uh, at the end of this training period, the, the, Daniel and his, uh, th- his three companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it says they were, found, they were ten times better, according to the Bible, than all of the king's magicians and prophets and the people whose job it was to serve the king. Uh, so that kind of faithfulness and that discipline and dedication certainly play, play div- uh, paid dividends in their lives and their ministry. And... Uh, so, again, it's, uh, during this three weeks, it's not necessarily that we expect the world to absolutely change in three weeks, but we ought to be cultivating certain habits during these three weeks. When we are reminded, when we are hungry, when our appetites rise up, um, that we're, we're reminded that we're cultivating the habit of prayer and responding to certain things with prayer when the fast is over. During this time, God will certainly... 
Uh, he'll deal with you on personal stuff, some things that you need to uh, make changes on so that you can grow in your faith, so that your family can grow. But ultimately, this is a corporate fast. This is a church-wide fast. And so we should be praying together about things that affect us as a local body of believers. Uh, again, this is, why I, this is one of the reasons uh, it, it works so well to, for Sarah Benzel to share what she shared today because this is something, this was a journey. This was their battle for sure, but this is a journey we went on with her and with her family. It's a great example of the church coming together for an extended period of time to lift one of our own up in prayer and see this through uh, to the great result that we saw. And again, it serves as an opportunity to remind us of what faith-filled prayer is. I remember there were people saying back then things like, well, of course God's going to heal Sarah. She's a sweet, innocent child. That's not why God healed Sarah Bensel. I remember when, dad, when Beth's dad was, uh, was sick with cancer, and I can remember being there one night I know I've shared this before, so I know it's okay that I share it again. But you remember this when some men from his church came over to the house to pray for him. And I remember thinking, that's pretty cool because this was not a faith church. Not what we would call a faith church. But they gathered around, they laid hands on him. And these were men, they were good guys. And uh, here, were, here were some examples of the things they prayed. Lord, Jim's a good man who has served you and his family well. Lord, he's a generous man. Lord, he's somebody that we really need, and his family really needs him. We just pray that you heal him because we need him so badly. And those are all cries of the heart. And I'm not saying that God is insensitive or, or that he doesn't care about our cries of the heart, but that's not the basis of healing. That's not what God responds to. Unless your prayers are based on the promises of God, unless your expectation is grounded on the finished work of Christ and your covenant with God through him, it is not faith. And it is faith that brings those promises into manifestation in our lives. Now, along that line, I also wanted to spend some time this morning giving you an update on Dad. I was talking to Cheryl the other night, just, maybe just yesterday, and there was some concern that she expressed that maybe some of the updates I give you via email uh, might be a little misleading, and that's certainly not my intention. When I give you an update because Dad's in the hospital, I'm giving you an update with specific reference to that hospitalization. For instance, he was hospitalized recently because of an infection. And uh, they, they were, they, you know, the, he had specific symptoms that he wasn't dealing with for a long time in the nursing home, and, and they had to deal with that. It took him to the hospital. Um, so when I say, you know, the infection's under control, the blood pressure's normalized, and so on, that's all I'm addressing. But in case I have failed to make it clear, Dad still has cancer. And to be perfectly frank, just in the natural, it's bad. I think most of you are aware of that. I am not trying to hide that fact from you. There is not a lot of hope that the doctors are offering in terms of curing this. They're not saying he's only got weeks or days to live. But they're saying that from the natural standpoint, they can't wipe this out. And I'm saying it because that's important because a lot of times there are things that we're fighting that the doctors can look at and say, we can fix this. 
And in those cases, our challenge for us as believers is to say, I'm glad that the medical uh, science is there. I'm glad that the, the, the wisdom is there, the medicine is there, whatever. Uh, but I'm still thankful to God for those things. Very difficult to truly trust God when there are other things that we are leaning on. There's, again, nothing wrong. I, I, I said this years ago. I preached a three-part message on healing, and I came against this thing where, where, where some faith people would say, you should never go to the doctor, never use medicine, because that's a crutch to your faith. But you know what? It is a crutch. But there's nothing wrong with crutches. That was my response. Like You don't thank the crutches when your bone is healed. All right, God has put things in your body that allow that bone to mend, and there are doctors that said it, all right? The crutches don't heal your leg, but you use those crutches to get around while the healing takes place, all right? Our faith has to be in God, and our first response to sickness should always be, what has God said about this? Now, you know, Dad was getting some immunotherapy infusions for a long time, uh, and uh, the last time they did one, they added a chemo drug uh, that was new, and he had a terrible, terrible reaction to that. That's what landed him into the hospital and, uh, and into the nursing home uh, two months ago. It's been over two months now, right? And uh, th- that's when things really just seemed to, boy, it just knocked him down. And I don't know if any final decisions have been made, uh, but he said more than once that he's simply not going to go through that again. And again, medically speaking, he doesn't have a lot of options. But that brings us to another point. Well, let me, let me skip this. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do a whole faith and healing message today. We do those periodically. There's other stuff I have to get through. But I was listening to Keith Moore uh, while I was with Dad yesterday afternoon. And he was saying some of the things that we've all heard for years, and somehow we still tend to forget uh, but one of, them, one of the things he kept saying was this, if you are still waiting on God to do something about healing you, you're misunderstanding something about the whole doctrine of healing. God healed you when he saved you. When you got saved, the day you got saved is not the day God saved you. When did God save you? 2,000 years ago on the cross. It really, if you want to get technical, from before the foundation of the earth. All right? But the work was done. When you cried out to Jesus Christ, and I know most of you have, that's not when God heard from heaven and said, yes, now I will do a work that will wipe your sin away. Today I will do the work. I will shed blood to cleanse you. Nope. All you were doing was availing yourself of everything that Christ completely, once and for all, accomplished at the cross. Same thing with healing. I cannot explain why the delay. I cannot explain why sometimes it fails to manifest. I do know that God healed you when he saved you. He healed me when he saved me. The work has been done. But, you know, the manifestation might take time, but when we say, well, I've exhausted every other option, now I guess it's up to God. That ain't faith. Now, coming to that point might be... (laughs) That might be the point at where we finally begin to step into faith. But saying, well, I was really believing God to do it this way, do it that way, do it this way, do it that way, and that ain't worked, so I guess he's just going to have to do something else. Something else besides have all of your sickness and diseases laid on the back of Jesus Christ in the form of those stripes? No. He did it. 
There is a confident resting in true faith. Here's my concern, one of my concerns as pastor of Living Word Family Church and as the son of Larry Millis. I send out those updates and I deliver them from the pulpit because so many of you ask me throughout the week how he's doing. I get asked every single Sunday and Wednesday and I get asked several times a week and that's fine. I don't resent that at all. I'm just letting you know when I stand up here and give those updates, it's because I know you want to know. And I know that he is a second father to some of you. He is your, your uh, father in the faith, as it were. He's the founder of this church. But I'm always very conscious of the fact, and I want you to know that I know, that this is not First Church of Larry Millis. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he is the head of this church. Okay? I'm always aware, always aware, believe me, when I give these updates that Larry Millis is not the only person in this church body who is going through a struggle. And Larry Millis is no more important to God, no more precious to God than any single person in this building today, every single one of us. And when we share prayer requests, upcoming surgeries, losses, during announcements, it is so that you can pray for them and pray for one another. You know, we've been commanded to bear one another's burdens. And I can remember I shared this. I'm not going to do the whole testimony. It wasn't too long ago. I shared, uh, shared it again about when I went through my back pain, especially the second, you know, second year in a row when I was completely, uh, really crippled uh, with this uh, sciatica episode. And uh, I'm battling it. I'm speaking the word. I'm doing it. And, and the th- I remember getting to the point where I just was weary. And that's when the, the men of the church shared with me how they had uh, uh, taken up that battle and begun and been speaking the word over me. And I just was so revitalized from that, from that moment, that, that moment of realization that these strong men of faith were swinging their swords on my behalf. When, I, when for a moment I was too weary to do it on my own. And, w- and so when I, when I spend time with dad, when other, f- other family members spend time with dad, you know, I, I was there for several hours yesterday, good spirits, talkative, alert, you know, mentally he's there, but he's weary, his body's tired. And so it's important that we, not because, oh, when we pray, oh God, he's the founder of this church, he's the reason I'm saved today, you've just got to heal him, God, he means so much to so many people. That's not why we expect to see him healed. Why do we expect to see him healed? Because he is in a covenant relationship with a healing God who promises healing to his children. And if your prayer, I'm not saying that God doesn't listen to these prayers, say, oh, I, I, I'm not saying that God doesn't look at uh, you when, when you say he means so much to, me, much to me. God's like, yeah, he means so much to me too. That's not what moves God though. Faith moves God. Faith moves circumstances, okay? Dad, we've talked about this. We haven't talked in depth, but it's not something like it's the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. We've talked. Dad is not afraid of death. But he's not satisfied. And what does the Bible say? In Psalm 91, uh, can we bring that up here? I can just turn for it, t- turn to it. Psalm 91, let's begin in verse 14. Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me. 
and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How long is long? So you're satisfied. So keep more. Now, I'll tell you what. If you're ever fighting physical sickness and you just want to soak yourself in something, I made different songs, different ministries, maybe appeal to different people. Uh, Keith Moore's got an album called uh, Quicken Thou Me that is just full of healings, healing songs. And there's that one where it's, where it's just a simple, simple song. I will live, I will not die. By the power of the word, I'm kept alive. Till I've run my race, fought the fight, and I am satisfied. I will live, I will not die. And what a great thing just to sing. What a great thing to confess over yourself. So listen, if he's not satisfied, I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to look and say, well, what's he, what's he fighting so hard for? Good grief, he's 75 years old. He's raised his family, his house is in order. Why doesn't he just go on and be with the Lord? Number one, that would be a pretty terrible attitude for, for anybody to have over somebody that's dear to them, uh, especially a child for a parent. Number two, this is him. If he's not satisfied, he's not ready to go, I'm not ready to stop fighting for him. But I'm not ready to stop fighting for anybody in here. And I need you to understand, this is the other direction I'm going with this. This isn't all about what's happening with Larry Millis. I think often about Jenny Good. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was going to use your name in my message. She just shrugged your shoulders, bless her heart. That's, that's approval, right? I get encouraged when I read her posts, the positive confessions that's, that are still coming out of her. I'm humbled by it. But do you think she never gets weary? It's been a long time now. But there's still an expectation. And I want that to be a strong, vibrant expectation for us. How long do we have to pray fervently? You know, you ever get to the point where you're praying for her or somebody else and you finally just shrug your shoulders, well, if it happens, it happens. I hope for her sake it does. But when it's you, you're praying fervently. When it's your son, your daughter, you're praying fervently. How long do we pray fervently? Listen, it doesn't mean we have to fast perpetually. Again, one of the important things about setting these three weeks aside is to get us in the habit. Praying fervently doesn't mean praying for two hours a day for the same thing. It doesn't mean torturing yourself. It means every time she crosses your mind, don't just go, poor Jenny. Thank God Jenny's getting out of that wheelchair. Thank God healing power is at work in her body. Thank you, Lord, for paying such a dear price for her healing. This fast reminds us that there are far, far more important things. Let me back up. Do you believe that God has given us all things to enjoy? Do you believe there's a reason there's such a variety of tasty food in the world? Did God create it that way just to tempt us to evil? No, it's good. We, have a, we, we are meant to enjoy these things. The fast is a reminder that there are much more important things than satisfying our appetites. Even though we are free to eat, we remind ourselves that we are to be masters of our stomachs and not the other way around. And my hope during this time for all of us is that during these weeks, we move to a place spiritually where in the weeks and months following the fast, we're sensitive to things like this. Maybe we finish supper one night and we sit down to play a game or watch a movie, read a book, work on a hobby. Again, I'm not talking about your finished supper now. Hey, let's go find some sin to get into. 
You're just going to sit down and relax with family. This is good. Family time's good, right? And suddenly you're sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, not now. Shut TV off. Put the game away. And spend some time praying for Jenny. Spend some time praying for Larry Millis. Spend some time praying. You look at your, your, your bulletin or, your, or, or maybe you came to prayer on Tuesday night and you've still got the prayer list. Oh, yeah, so-and-so's having surgery this week. So-and-so's going through this. And you're sensitive to God saying, I want you to spend some time. Maybe, maybe you hear, hey, you need to pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the children's ministry. Every single week, from about two or three weeks leading up to this quarter, every single week up until today, we've announced a need for children's workers. I'm not saying this to heap a guilt trip. There might be legitimate reasons it took so long to fill those slots. But if you were one of the ones who were sitting there thinking, oh, I wish we didn't have to hear this. You know, I always think of it in terms of what, what do first-timers think? My goodness. They, they look at all these people, and they can't get enough people to teach Sunday school. I was kind of worried what the impression it's going to have on, on first-timers. You people who are here for the first time, you can come up and tell me after church if you want. But maybe you're one sitting there thinking, I would do it if I could, but I can't. Did you stop there, or did you pray about it? You see, this is a legitimate need. We want those children to be richly blessed. We don't want them to seem like a burden. We don't want to have to get up here and beg for workers. So listen, if you can't do it, can you pray fervently that God would raise somebody up? Sure you can. Father, I know you love those children. We love those children too. Part of one of the things that, that, that this ministry has been built on is ministry to children. I know you've got the right person. I pray that you'd speak to them tonight, that they would have the confidence, that they would have the health, that they would have the energy, everything they need to boldly step up and say, I will do that. Help me to support that person in any way I can. This is what pray- And that's it. That, that right, every, if you just said what I said there, that is a legitimate faith-filled prayer. You don't have to labor over that for an hour. Hey, listen, if God leads you to, do it. You know, pray until, until the burden lifts, right? Maybe you hear this, pray for the praise and worship team. Do you know how much work they have to do to sound as good as they do, to, to make it as easy for us as it is? Pray for the cooks in Panama. Pray for Neil and Danette Childs. Pray for Gary Crow. You know all those missionary letters? You've gotten them, whether you've gotten them from them or you've gotten them from some, uh, somebody, some other organization or somebody who's going on a trip, and they all, there's almost kind of a formula. They'll give you, here's what we are doing. This is what God is doing in our ministry this month. Here's how you can help. Number one, pray. You know they really do mean that. That's not something that they just have to, well, we got to put this first so that we can ask for what we tell you what you really can do for us, which is give us money. Do they need our financial support? Absolutely. You better believe, and they know this, they need your prayers as well. I love it. I've seen, I have seen letters where it's like, if you can only do one thing, we would rather have your prayers than your money. But most people can do more than one thing. 
Man, they are in some dangerous spots. They are in places where doors seem to close as quickly as they open, and they do covet our prayers. Why? Can't they pray? There's power in agreement. It's good to have people praying for you. Most of you know this. But what if you get these... Maybe that's all you get. I don't know. Just have this impression to pray for the church. I have this impression to pray for Pastor Scott. I have this impression to pray for the cooks. What if you don't know what to pray? You know the answer to that, right? Pray in the Spirit. How long do I do that? Till the burden lifts. But also ask. You know, Lord, I'd kind of like to know what I'm praying about. Going back to Daniel, you know, right, uh, right after the part we just, uh, just talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, this is maybe, uh, aside from the fiery furnace, the, uh, the, the most uh, satisfying story in Daniel is when, when Nebuchadnezzar calls his, uh, his seers to himself and says, I had a dream, and I need you guys uh, to explain it to me. And uh, they said, okay, king. We're ready. Tell us the dream. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to tell me the dream. And then tell me what the interpretation is. And they kind of look at each other like, did we just hear what we thought? So they try to bluff their way through it. We absolutely will, king. Just tell us what the dream is. And the king's like, are you hearing me? If you can tell me what the dream is without me telling you what the dream is, then I'll know that you really have the interpretation. If I tell you the dream, you can make something up. So then they start getting defensive. King, what you're asking is unreasonable. We're interpreters. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you're fakes is what you are. Because if you've got some gift from the gods to give me an interpretation, those same gods could tell you the dream. And they're like, no fair, no fair. And he says, you know what? I don't have any use for any of you. I'm going to have all your houses burned down with you in them. And then Daniel steps up and says, king, give me a little time. God will reveal the dream to me, and he does. So Daniel goes before the king and says, here's what you dreamed, and he tells him about that statue, and then he tells him about the kingdoms that the statue represents, and Daniel is instantly elevated to a position uh, roughly equal to the prime minister of Babylon. So God lays something on your heart. I'm supposed to pray. What am I supposed to pray about? He just might tell you. He might not. There's some things we don't need to know. Sometimes it's better just to pray in the Spirit. There's some things, if we knew more than we did, that would be more of a distraction than it would an encouragement to pray. Just be led. Use this time of fasting to set aside time for that purpose. And don't let the world, again, I'm not talking about sin or rank sin. I'm just talking about stuff. Don't let the world crowd that out when the fast is over. It's fine to get to the end of three weeks and say, I'm glad I can have pizza again. But don't say, well, I'm glad I can stop praying so energetically now. If you find yourself slipping into that, hey, start fasting again if you have to. Daniel went three years. Maybe we should do a three-year fast and see what that does for living word, right? This might sound trite. Maybe you've heard it too much. Maybe it fails to make an impact, but hear me, please. I am convinced that spirit-led, spirit-empowered, Faith-filled prayer can and will change lives, change, change families, change this church. I'm convinced that the reason we are not seeing the things that we want to see, if we're not seeing the things we want to see, is that we're simply not praying or not praying in faith.
I do not think the key is a mathematical one. It's not a matter, again, of not spending. Oh, you only prayed seven hours. If only you had prayed eight, we would have seen the answer here. It's a matter of we haven't, again, cultivated a true habit of responding to everything in prayer, in faith-filled prayer. It's a matter of how we react and respond to circumstances. We talked Wednesday night. I did a sermon on Psalm 126 about uh, sowing in tears. Uh, I got to tell you, from my standpoint, that was a top 10 sermon. I think you need to hear that message if you weren't here Wednesday. Uh, there's some things in there that, I, that uh, when I was preparing it, when I was reading it, when I was meditating on it, really, really changed some things, changed my view on some things. And I think you'll find it encouraging and challenging. But it's really about how, what are we going to do when circumstances rise up with bad news? You know, I never, ever want to be the parent that hears from the doctor, your child has leukemia. But how are we going to respond when we hear that news, whether it's us or whether it's our brother or sister? When it's somebody else, do we say, well, thank God it's not me? We're not like that, are we? Or, but also, it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Well, we don't want to rejoice about it. On the other hand, there's something crucial. That, that, uh, our faith really is revealed in those crisis moments with how we respond and how quickly we, we respond with faith. I'm going to show you a video. Do we have that video clip ready? I'm going to show this to you here in a second. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's from Bethel Church. There's a reference to a little boy who'd been diagnosed with a disease, right? Severe E. coli. Organs shut down. uh, And and this boy's name is Jackson, right? And what'd you say? They said he was dying for sure. 18 months old, two years old, what was he? Something like that. You'll see this here in just a second. Uh, And I love uh, love what this guy says about, uh, about David's sword, you know, and we can remember David's response to Goliath. And uh, his boldness. You'll, you'll, you'll see this, and I'll make some comments. I want you to understand here. Uh, that I think this will give you goosebumps. And we'll listen to the song, because most of this is a song. But I want you to hear the intro, and I want you and, and pay attention, because the parents and this little boy, you'll see clips of them in the video, and you'll know them when you see them. Uh, go ahead and play this. I'll make some comments. The, a Bethel Music family, a few days before Christmas, most of you guys probably were a part of this miracle. But we watched... Um, Joel and Janie Taylor's little son, Jackson. And he was, a few days before Christmas, airlifted to intensive care. And we began to fight for Jackson's life. How many of you guys joined in that fight and that symphony of prayer that rose up for a little boy? And a couple, couple weeks into the fight, we got a text one night from Joel that they weren't sure if he was going to make it through the night. And as soon as I heard and read the message, it was like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. And I just, I just thought, Jackson's going to die tonight. We're not going to see the miracle. And as this giant stood in front of me, all of a sudden, out of my gut, this song started coming out right in the face of the giant.
As that giant was looking at us, I knew he was going to regret the day he ever pointed his sword at Jackson. Just as Goliath pointed his sword at David, the sword Goliath pointed at David became the sword the little boy picked up and took the giant's head off with. And as we watched this miracle happen in Jackson's body, it was like this giant of unbelief was falling. And our community just began to sing this song. It was just one note in the symphony of prayer rising for his life. So I want to teach it to you this morning. Let's sing.
Now, that give you goosebumps? Does me. Gets me charged up. Gets me fired up. But goosebumps are not a substitute for genuine faith. And genuine faith sows the word when the goosebumps are gone, when the music stops. That's what Wednesday night's message was about, that you keep sowing and you raise that hallelujah in tears. When what the news, when your circumstances are bringing you pain, what comes out of your mouth is still powerful. So we still make sure it's the right thing. And we think, I don't feel like a hallelujah. A hallelujah is fake. No, it's just that a hallelujah is never a feeling to begin with. God is still worthy of praise. Praise you, Lord. You sow in tears, and what's going to happen? You will reap in joy. An abundant harvest with joy. You don't sow tears to reap joy. You sow in tears to reap in joy. So speak it. Don't just think it. Speak the truth. Speak the word of life over yourself, over your family, and over one, of, one another in this body. Praise the worship team. Come on up here. This is an exciting time to be here. I'm talking this is an exciting time to be right here at Living Word Family Church. We're taking on some things. And I'm so glad that you are here to fight these battles with us. Nobody else, nobody else on planet Earth I'd rather go into battle with than you guys. I remember, uh, I may have shared this with you before. Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years who, who've had similar thoughts. But I remember thinking this at basic training, you know, you... There are certain people that, that you kind of bond with and others that you kind of try to avoid. And uh, I had some pretty good guys in my cubicle. There were, there were four of us there, and one of them I absolutely couldn't stand. And the other, the other two we were really, I was really close with. And there were some other guys scattered around the barracks that just really wanted nothing to do with. But we started having a conversation one night. Never mind who you like. If you had to go to war tomorrow and you had to, you had to pick your own squad, who are you going to pick? And there were four or five guys in that squad I didn't like. But if I was going to have to fight, I want them fighting alongside of me. I had a lot of you guys I don't like, but <laughs> I'm kidding. I like you guys too, so it's the best of both worlds. If I know there's some fighters in here, and I'm glad. I'm so glad we're in this thing together. And it's not that I'm praying for struggles for you. Stand up with me. It's not that I'm, I, man, I want nothing but the best. I want, man, we serve a God who calls, who's the God of all comfort. Pleasures forevermore at his right hand. He has good things, the abundant life for us. But right now we're living in a world that wants to steal those things from us. We're in the world that's governed by an enemy that wants to steal those things from us. And we're going to have these struggles. We're going to suffer persecution. These things are going to touch our lives in one way or another. There's going to be battles to fight. So this is a good place to be. You do not want to be alone when these things touch you or your family. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.